okay, well then let's jump into the news of the world. What is the news of the world, you ask? Uh, well, the news is this. Uh, Tom Hanks is playing a military man. And you're thinking to yourself, it's 1870, he's got to be playing, you know, like a good guy. Nope, he was on the wrong side of history. And, um, yeah, uh, we'll get in, you know, we'll kind of get into that a bit later on. But it's kind of obvious, like, he has to, at one point he has to show his, like, surrendering papers or whatever to, to be like, yeah, I'm not a threat anymore to, um, you know, the the... The, the 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 union and some of that plays into this film there is a little bit of kind of tension between uh you know confederates you know most of it is set within kind of like uh texas and around that area so but yeah he's jefferson kyle kid um and he reads newspapers to people we will find out towards the end of the film how this came about how this this was like his position um but basically uh you know obviously literacy even in the united states today not a high priority and so, you know, back when there was a war between, you know, uh, a few states and the rest of it, uh, again, literacy, not a high th- profile, but newspapers are very high priority. And there appear to be tons of newspapers because uh, when he's reading from them, he has like a huge uh, stack of papers. He reads by candlelight using a monocle. He has <laughs> great reading form. Like I enjoyed every time he went, he had to like stoop right down with that monocle. It was like he was making it like, this isn't like a casual thing. This is a full-on event when he leans down to read. It was like, okay, you know, uh, I appreciate the uh, the the over theatricality of it all. Uh, he charges people uh, ten cents for him to to read the news, um, and of course, uh, shortly after this, the internet would just kill people reading the news out loud to big crowds. Uh, it's a sad day. It wasn't what he was doing though. It reminded me of like, oh, he's he's like a prototype prototype youtuber in a weird way because you get like people like the you know like the philip the francos of the world and stuff it was like top you could literally put a thumbnail of him reacting to something on his poster i'm just laughing that it's it's 2022 and we we were talking about a movie set just after the is it the miracle civil war is it and um yeah and and we're describing him as a proto youtuber yeah, he goes around. He gives his spin on the news, and then the glow people will leave the comments beneath the beneath the table that he's at. People come up and go. The first guy shouts out first. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, he is literally a news reader. That is what he's doing. Obviously, that term these days applies to people who announce the death of the queen by wearing a black tie. Um, but you know. It, like, he he is literally reading the news. He's in Wichita Falls, and uh, what I like is obviously by the end of the film, this you know this we we kind of will realize that this is less just about him reading literally what's on the page, and more about him telling a story. Um, and so obviously that will become more pivotal as the film goes on. Um, but you know this is a nice way to just set up the fact that he you know that's what he does. He doesn't make much money off it. Um, you know, you can literally hear the coins clinking in the can as as people enter, and so you know, uh, one would say he makes a meager living, just reading out the news, traveling from town to town, uh, mostly within Texas, which is obviously important for the backdrop of when this uh, takes place. Uh, like I said, I've not read the novel, so I have to assume some of the stuff about the Confederacy and the, the Union is probably gone into a little bit more. Uh, you know, the film doesn't really have time to kind of get into it too in depth. Um, but he has two horses uh, and a little wagon. And as he is riding, uh, he sees a person in the woods and he decides to give them chase. And he finds that it is a little girl. 
uh, a little blonde girl uh, who is named Joanna um, and get used to Tom Hanks yelling that name um, and um, she is German um, uh, and there's a chance given that this is 1870 that she might grow up to be the woman who romances Hitler um, <laughs> but actually I think she's a little she's a, she's a little it's a little too early for I that. think that it was that but like there's always <laughs> a chance if you watch it with this uh, this eye on it yeah actually I think Hitler was born about 20 years after this so uh, which is weird to see to think how close like the US like Confederates and everything is to how close Hitler was to being born. It's like very, it's really weird. Um, but yeah, so you know, th- this is the main. This is the main point of the film. This is this little lost girl. Um, you know, we f- we kind of find out that um, you know she's hiding because uh, the people that she was with are dead. Uh, we see a Union Patrol pass, uh, the Blues, as they are called by some people in this film. And they ask for, um, you know, some papers from him. And he has to explain who he is, that he was in the Confederacy and that he, you know, he 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 kind of, you know, uh, surrendered a few years ago and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, OK, so technically speaking, this guy's the bad guy, but it seems like he's, you know, uh, happily kind of given up uh, all that nonsense. Um, we find out that they're, they're like, you know, he's like, what do I do with this this kid? And they're like, I don't know take it to the next town <laughs> and turn her into the you know to the 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 office of indian affairs you know like they're the people who should take care of it because she was with uh, a kiowa family uh for six years and that's you know so it's like okay she you know she belongs to them we'll have to return them but it'll have to go through this this particular office um obviously the people of the land were not indian they were native american um once again tom dropping controversial language you know <laughs> in uh in cloud atlas he did drop the n-bomb so you know here he is again saying the i-word but um yeah so I, I i mean it's an interesting setup because it's like basically he's gonna have to take it back to the tribe but they're gonna have to wait for the guy who's you know from the bureau of indian affairs and that guy is out of town for three months so kid is like uh what's the next best thing that he can do uh, and he tries to figure out where her family uh, are. Now, it should be noted that obviously uh, Helen uh, Helena Ziegler herself is, or Zengler, should I say, uh, Zengel even, um, is German. And throughout the film, she will speak German, but she will also speak Kiowa as well. So uh, they had someone on set, obviously, you know, uh, coaching her in that. And, you know, her performance was praised in particular for her getting it uh, quite accurate um and uh you know so it's it's interesting because she obviously you know she understands english but obviously she switches mostly between you know talking in kiowa and talking in german um and there are some phrases that obviously kid also knows in german um uh, because you know there were a lot of german settlers who went to america and settled some parts of it uh just like the with the dutch and uh obviously the english um because we did rule the waves uh for a time um and so I, I think it's interesting that, you know, to, to start off with, Kid is like, I've got to get rid of this child, send her back to a family. How do we do that? Um, and that is obviously the motivation at the start of this film. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I throughout the film, you know, the one thing that I do enjoy is the performance of uh, this kid as Joanna. You know, it, like it is a challenge for her to be basically acting in three different languages and also next to double Oscar winner Tom Hanks, you know, if you're like a, you know, if you're acting as a 10 year old coming into a film up against a double Oscar winner, I think she manages to do well. This can't be that hard. 
Um, usually when I'm watching a movie, I like to tell myself like, "What would you do in this situation?" And I'm on, I'm going to be honest here. I'm I'm walking off. This nine-year-old, <laughs> ten-year-old kid that's not mine. Get out of here. No thanks. I barely look at my own kid. I'm not going to go look at someone else's kid. I'm heading <laughs> off into the distance, find the next town, going to read the next bit of newspaper, going to be like, sometimes I'm going to make up the stories as I go along, just get myself entertained. What does it say here? What is it? What? What's this? Lincoln's still alive. Like, I'm just going to start reading out, spreading as many rumors as I can, but I'm not taking no 10-year-old child with me. Is it good? They put you on the spot, Ollie. You would say, no tea, Hanks. No, T. Hanks. That's what I'd say. She'd be like, do you want to come in? I'd be like, no, T. Hanks. I'm not taking on extra baggage. I've already got all of my regrets from fighting on the wrong side in the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. I should say as well, at this point, uh, it's like Kid, I guess it's kind of, it's, it's just something that's kind of implied, but we'll find out the truth later on where he talks about he has, he's left behind his wife. And we are kind of led to believe that obviously he went off to war and he left his wife behind and somehow abandoned her. Um, and, and that is, that is what they will leave us to think for quite a portion of this film before we actually find out the truth of that situation. Um, he goes to his good friend, Doris Boodlin, uh, and Simon Boodlin played by Ray McKinnon and, uh, Mayor Winningham. And he's, his intention is to leave the Joanna with them, and then obviously come back in three months' time once the uh, the agent for the Bureau of Indian Affairs has returned, and then have her return to the Kiowa tribe, um, so that you know she can live with them. Um, but of course, instantly uh, she runs away. <laughs> um, you know, she like so she she's not happy with that particular thing. Uh, Tom reads to a crowd, and he says, "There's a railroad coming." And it's going to cut straight through the reservation, to which people cheer, showing that, of course, <laughs> Texans have been extremely racist for a very long time. Um, people don't like the new the new president, which I, I mean, obviously, you know, when uh, when the post came out, that was kind of rushed into production because of like the parallels between Nixon and Trump and corruption, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I don't know if they kind of put this thing about people not liking the new president, <laughs> uh, just as like, a, again, another kind of like Trump reference or, you know, just kind of reflects how people in texas felt about the fact that they were going to have to ratify the 13th 14th and 15th amendments and i don't know a lot of it too just strikes me as like the um you know the 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 simpsons machine that keeps up you know with the radio hosting the news of like it looks like those clowns in congress did it again today (laughs) what a bunch of clowns how's it keep up with the news like that (laughs) it's just like saying people don't like the new president is a kind of like a timeless thing in america is like currently this week over here and they can you know i'm in liverpool at the minute this week we've got a new prime minister nobody likes her but you know she's in that's just the way no one liked the last guy no well, one liked this new one. she is replacing that beloved prime minister that you guys had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean I, I i think it's kind of thrown in there as like you say like an evergreen thing people always hate the, the president there's a bit of a argument breaks out um you know about the the, the people the way the people are being treated by the union uh, but you know you were the losers tough luck tough luck buddy you picked the wrong side you lost you can't then complain about you know the the winners being like we won and rubbing it in your face like um you know like t- tough shit really you shouldn't have supported slavery you idiots um <laughs> and you would th- you think is you would think that that would be a slam to just confederates from like the 1800s yeah. but that holds true for today that's the problem. It's true for today. 
Um, so yeah, uh, but obviously we, you know, we find out that it's in this position. It's not going to be possible for the Boodlins to hang on to uh, to Joanna for three months because, quite frankly, she's literally going to run away every single day. <laughs> and so, well, I I have a slightly different take on it. I think she would have only run away once and then just calmed herself down because you know ten year olds they're always trying to run away. But the Boodlins. They're more like myself, you know what I'm saying? Like, they said no T-Hanks to that child. <laughs> you take her away from here, Tom, because I don't want anything to do with her. That's added responsibility. You get her out of my sight. And that's what he had to do, because those people have the right idea. I should say Ray McKinnon was in Apollo 13 with Tom, uh, playing a smaller role. Um, so, you know, someone who Tom's worked with before. I think this is the only person Tom's worked with previous to this film out of the entire cast, other than obviously Paul Greengrass. Um, but yeah, the Boodlins, they cannot hang on to this child. She literally will not stop running away. Keep that in mind, because that will be important for a scene later on. Uh, we find out that she has an aunt and uncle. And so uh, Tom Hanks is like, OK, I guess I'll take it to see the aunt and uncle and she can live with them instead. Uh, but obviously she's not, she hasn't really seen them for at least six years, so she doesn't really remember them. But that's where they're going to go. It's going to take them six weeks to get there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second act of the film where we will be spending a lot of time tr- out on the road, traveling from place to place with a lot of beautiful cinematography. It really does look nice. That's what I will say. Like, And also like the production design on like the little tiny towns where you know the little western towns is really good as well like they you know they look like they look like towns that have kind of been put up like 10 years ago and they're gradually growing um you know they look very much like that town uh what's it called oh, it's from that historical film oh hill valley in back to the future part three uh yeah. they very much look like that so um yeah so i mean i i, I really i like the production design is great the cinematography is fantastic this, i mean this was the part of the film that i really did like i like you know people being out on the road um you know and much like you know willie nelson on the road again and it's it's wonderful to like just you know the cinematography is great and uh you know we get classic tom hanks uh dad core uh acting as he's just you know gruff and unreasonable and the kid just gets on his nerves yeah i mean it's a classic scenario anyway i'm just like well you not even just you know adult having to look after new kid but just the the, one of the most classic tropes in cinema of these two people don't get on at first, <laughs> but over the course of the film, they might grow to be very close. But yeah, everything about it then too is kind of like, what's Paper Moon? And even in more recent memory, it's kind of like, oh, it's Logan. Like it's the same setup of yeah. like gruff, gruff guy, yeah. kid, a non-communicative kid who then is like, oh, okay, well, I don't like it, but... I guess, and then by the end of the movie, he's like, "I will die for you." Like that sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a it's a well worn trope. But the thing is, you know, some of these things are well worn because they well they they wear well. Yeah, it's like like trope. I, I was chatting to a few people about this on on Facebook recently. There about tropes in in novels, and they're like, "Oh, they were talking about like, oh, I'd love to read a book that just is completely trope free." It's like you probably wouldn't enjoy it. Like tropes are there because you enjoy them. Like you 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 mentioned Logan and. Um, and the first thing that came to my head was the video game The Last of Us. Like, this is pretty much the, the plot of The Last of Us, except replace violent former, let's say, former racists uh, with um, zombies. That's what The Last of Us is. It's like... They lost. They went like, okay, I guess we'll change our viewpoints and we'll just <laughs> not be racist anymore. Yeah. So it's just, as I said, Hanks is... is 
taking this kid across the country and they, they end up really liking each other. Perhaps he'll make some decisions that involve other people getting killed at some point. I don't know. But like that's basically what you're starting at here is, And you know what you're getting into in a movie like this is he's not going to like the kid. She's going to be annoying him. Then eventually he'll be like, oh, you know what? My heart has warmed and she'll have a father figure to respect. You're like, oh, wow, we're all crying here at the end. Maybe read us a story, Tom. And then he does. Like, it's tropey, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. If your friends want to read a novel without any tropes in, tell them to try Gadsby uh, by Ernest Vincent Wright, uh, a novel that does not contain the letter E. Yeah, but but that in itself has become a trope, Darren. <laughs> yeah, so many novels these days are written without one particular vowel. People just it's leave almost... it as like, I remember the first time I read that. And now it's just... <laughs> We're not going to do any teas. Was it, yeah. Again, was that inspired by The Simpsons and like, you know, Lenny, if you can say why you shouldn't get fired without using the letter E, you can keep your job. No. Not, uh, good work, uh, guy. <laughs> no, that that is actually, The Simpsons are actually referencing that. The, the novel came out in 1939. I had no idea. They, they You come to T. Hanks from the memories, you learn something. You genuinely do learn something. But that's what happens, yeah. Niall. It's the trope. We come in here as babes, <laughs> and then Darren leads us through this wilderness, planting or supplying us with knowledge. And then at the end, we love him like the father figure we never had. <laughs> something, because uh, we've, we've gone past the scene, though, right, where it's explained that um, her name isn't Joanna, it's Cicada. And then Tom insists the rest of the movie, and I don't think he ever gets really called out for it. He's just like, well, it's Joanna now. So I've decided to name this kid, and that's it. And like, I don't care about what her actual background is or you know who she actually – what her actual name is. I'm going to call her whatever the hell I want uh, or what I think she should be called. Did that, did, that, did that rub anyone else the wrong way, or is it just me? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of common. If you find a kid that's been with a tribe for a number of years and been called a different name, that you just give them a different name. I I think in some ways that is that is actually a trope, and that is that like they just they're not calling it out, but they're just like yeah, this this is what would happen. You you know you start renaming kids so they've got better names. For, yeah, you know, I just kind of assumed though by like throughout the film that he would grow to be like okay, you know she would constantly be like my name is Cicada, <laughs> and then eventually he'll be like oh, okay, and you know, eventually down the line he would actually call her by her name. And that would be like a barrier that's broken between them. But it seems as he's like, no, that's it. That's well, like, it, I made up my mind. So. That's the thing. That's what they're doing. Is they're subverting that particular trope now. Is you would think that she would eventually warm his heart enough that he would go, okay, I will pronounce this slightly difficult word and call you cicada. But in the end, what's actually happened is he psychologically abused her enough to accept the incorrect name. <laughs> Like, he's broken down her barriers so that she just does what he's told or he's telling her. Yeah, ex- except that her paperwork is the thing that says her name is Joanna Le- Leonberger. That's her That's her name that she was given by her actual family. The fact that she calls herself Cicada is, you know, that that's that's what her the Kiowa tribe called her. So. Tom's just like, that's just a phase. She'll grow out of that. It's the goth thing to do in the, in the the old west is to call yourself by the name that the uh, the local Native Americans gave you. <laughs> but uh, she'll get she'll get over that by the time she's eighteen. I think I think it, it's also from from his point of view, it's also uh, to get them a measure of security. 
if they're running into people who are asking for her papers and they keep calling her by the wrong name, then there's a chance somebody go, well, then this kid isn't yours and they'll, you know, or this isn't this kid named Joanna. This is a different kid and they'll take her away. Whereas if she is called Joanna and the paperwork says she's Joanna, then obviously it's a lot easier for them to get by. Um, but yeah, they, they make camp. She tries some coffee. She doesn't like coffee because she's a 10-year-old and 10-year-olds shouldn't be drinking coffee. But, you know, it's the Old West. Um... And she has a Native American blanket that she puts on herself because obviously it's cold um, out in the desert. Surprising fact. During the day, very warm. During the night, very cold. Uh, so if you weren't aware of that, now you are. Uh, gradually, as um, climate change ravages the globe, a lot of people will find out that when it's warm during the day, it's very, very cold at night. Um, and so they get to the next town where they are going and they uh, meet up with Mrs. Gannett, played by Elizabeth Marvel, um, who I'm sure you have seen in a number of films. Um, but as I said, uh, she generally turns up with her husband, Bill Camp. They've been married since 2004. Uh, she's probably best known for being on <laughs> Homeland, where she was the president for a couple of seasons. She's also in Burn After Reading, Synecdoche, New York. She was in True Grit, so she's got, you know, some... Uh, some Western chops. Westerns, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was also in Lincoln. So she's got some time period acting. Uh, very, this is very much like uh, Jerry on Friends when he would talk about how he had doctor acting experience. Um, so he felt he should always be cast as a doctor. Um, she was on the second season of Fargo, which is a great season of TV. Um, and she was also in House of Cards. And she's been in quite a lot of uh, films, um, you know, t tons of very, very good films. And some slightly less good films. Um, <laughs> but uh, something... Cause I'm a you know I'm a I'm a horror movie person like I just like I have, none of it ever really affects me, but she's yeah. in one film that I can't bring myself to watch this thing Swallow. Have you guys come across Swallow? I don't even no. think it's a horror film, but it, it's like a psychological <laughs> drama. It came out that like, two or three years ago. It's basically about this young woman who like starts getting into like swallowing inedible objects, so like hair and I, like light bulbs I, and plastic and you know, apparently it's supposed to be quite graphic and it's just one of these things like i can't bring myself to to endure watching that it sounds like i would be absolutely just like oh you know you'd feel it going down your own throat and stuff it's Ugh. like so it's one of those things like it's it, 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 one of the few movies that i would be like i can't reach that is swallow starring well, not starring elizabeth marvel she's just in it but um yeah, it's a, I don't know. People have watched it and they're like, no, it's not that bad. Maybe I'll give it a go. Because I don't understand. People are like, oh, it's compelling. It's a good film. It's just gross. And it's just very disturbing to watch someone eat things that aren't supposed to be eaten and would yeah. probably choke you to death. <laughs> the, well, the compulsion to eat things that are inedible is called pica. Yeah, well, there you go. There's been there's been tons of different like literally every single medical TV show at one point will have a patient who's eating stuff they shouldn't be eating and then you yeah. get like a little lesson on piker again and you're like hey, what, I already know about piker wasn't that nice. um wasn't that part of um one of those American reality TV things called My Strange Addiction and it was about probably eating weird stuff I remember there was somebody who was eating the drywall in their house and they were literally just yeah. peeling the walls apart and eating them uh. yeah. It's. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, drywall. I think is a is like a common one in or plaster as we know it over here in the. Yeah. You know the the the. the yeah, but yeah, but um. I want yeah. to I might go back. I remember you remember way years ago used to have the word on Channel Four, 
Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to have what's the, the, all the words you used to have like those people who would do anything to be on TV and stuff. That was yep. the name of the that segment. That was the word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you, so you'd see them like, oh, I've got a pile of like a bowl full of scabs. <laughs> oh Jesus. And then the guy's going to eat this in live TV. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid. It freaked me out. And I remember also on the word, they had a magician who he, his trick was that he swallowed razor blades and then he put a string down his throat and he brought them all back up. And his throat was like, he was gushing blood as it, as it yeah. happened. I'm sure yeah, it was all a trick because it's just like, you know, that's what magicians yeah. do tricks as it wasn't a real thing. But that supplanted itself in my subconscious so deeply that I think it might still be that when it comes to Here's this critically acclaimed, you know, art house film called Swallow. It's about this. You want to watch it? And I'll be like, no, not ever. Never. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, looking at the cast list, I was like, oh, this has got Sledgehammer from the TV show Sledgehammer in it. So... <laughs> I was going to think of this. This is the second time we've recorded something, Darren, where you've referenced Sledgehammer. And I can't remember uh... what the first time it was, but Sledgehammer was good. <laughs> I love that show. I like the idea, though, that no matter how gross it is, Darren's just like, Sledgehammer's at it. Oh, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> yeah. David Reich is hilarious, the Sledgehammer, because this with is his... like an over-the-top, like, Clint Eastwood impression. With it? his really big, definitely not overcompensating for anything gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird, because he's been on, like, David Reich has been in tons of stuff that's more serious, and every time I see him, I'm like, it's Sledgehammer. It's from Sledgehammer, Sledgehammer, yeah. It's like literally a show that was cancelled after two seasons and barely did any episodes. And he's he's literally done like three times as many episodes in tons of other programs. And yet I'm always like, oh, it's Sledgehammer. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, Sledgehammer is not in this film. Elizabeth Marvel is. Uh, oh, and... you mentioned too, uh, Dax. Maybe if I'm mistaken, uh, cut this out. But Mayor Wingingham, she, she's in Turner and Hooch, right? Or is that me going mental? Oh. It's been a long time since I've seen Turner and Hooch, but I have some vague memory of her being in it. It's been a long time since I've seen Turner and Hooch. Yes, she is. She's the love interest. She's the vet. Yeah. I to, wow, how did I forget that? Well, it's Turner and Hooch. It's an extremely forgettable film. Because earlier when you said like, that that guy was the, the only cast member to be with Tom Hanks, I was like, well, well, well. So that, that was one of those threads I was desperately trying to cling on to. And, <laughs> and now when I had the opportunity, I'm bringing it back up. So. Yes. I stand corrected. There are two people. Yep, there we go. Uh, but yeah, so we get some translation from uh, from Elizabeth Marvel as Mrs. Gannett. She translates that uh, basically her family were killed and then her Kiowa family were killed. And so she is an orphan twice over, uh, which is very dramatic. Um, but, you know, still accurate. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking her to the aunt and uncle. Doesn't really change much. So... Uh, but there is a there is, it's really weird because I think she's uh, Elizabeth Marvel's playing a, a, a widow and Tom Hanks is there reading, you know, by oil lamp late at night and she's in bed in her bedclothes. And I don't know if you guys felt this, but I thought there was like a, a hint that maybe something was about to happen, um, you know, <laughs> between the two of them because she starts discussing his wife and she's like, how long has it been? And I'm like, is she like suggesting, you know. Uh, they do something here but then nothing happened and I was like oh well it would have been you know I, don't, I, I get where you're coming from I, I thought that something already had happened I thought he was kind of like standing by the window like po post-coital sort of like yeah, yeah <laughs> I've done my business so now I'm standing here and you know she's like so yeah I, I understand exactly where you're coming from it, it's, it felt as if there was like a kind of casual like yeah we hook up you know <laughs> like that's, that's, that's you know, it was a 
But the film is still trying to paint it that his wife is alive at this point. Spoiler alert for the end of the film. But yeah, like it's it's like Mrs. Kid is still like they're maybe estranged, but she's still there and he's not going to cheat on her because I think he's still wearing his wedding ring. But this uh, is um, speaking of tropes, like this is this is basically William Money's character in Unforgiven where he's talking about his wife back home and his wife back home and, you know, I would never treat my wife. And then, like, it's revealed about three quarters of the way through the movie. Oh, he's talking about his wife. Well, she did. Yeah, <laughs> John Candy and uh, planes, trains and automobiles at the end. And you're like, oh, his wife's been dead the whole time. Oh, no, God. Yeah. Um, just speaking of, speaking of her being in... Going across the <laughs> across the old west. Now that's, <laughs> that's, that's he's got, yeah, instead of a little blonde kid. <laughs> yes. Um, just speaking of being like why why not he's got range he he can do it Um, with her being an orphan twice over it just remind me that Peter Parker is now an orphan basically three times over so like he's got her beat Spider-Man is is better at losing parental (laughs) figures than she is yeah take that Johanna (laughs) Um, we're talking about No Way Home as well you got like three Spider-Men so it's like six that's what I'm saying three Spider-Men and then like Iron Man technically a father figure gone and then loses Aunt May, gone. Like, he's just bad at this. Yeah, but then you he's got Cat and Tobey Maguire's Uncle, Uncle Ben. And then Andrew Garfield's Uncle Ben. Like, just losing all of them. Like, they're just Spider-Men, very bad with the old father figures. Yeah, yeah. Not quite as bad as Thor, though, because literally in every single film, <laughs> Thor loses someone. Uh, starting with his brother, then his father, then his mother, then his brother again, and then... Not wanting to spoil the recent one, but his lover. Um, yeah, yeah, well, about so. three um, three quarters of the way into this one, it lost me. Nope. <laughs> Just going to let him know. No longer a fan. Although he is a muscular, handsome man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> On the poster, though, it's like, you know, not for me, but he is he is very muscular. <laughs> you can see his ass at one point. So, yeah, that's nice. Uh, in Dallas, as seen is set. Um, as we have some confederates and they see Johanna and obviously they have uh, evil intentions uh, because they start offering money for her. They're like, how about 50 quid? Um, and Tom Hanks is like, no, thank you very much. And they're like, how about 100? And then he's like, no, 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 no. And then they're like, well, how about we just take her from you and we don't give you any money at all? Uh, a scuffle ensues and obviously the Union uh, Army who are passing by step in and Tom Hanks is like here are the papers this is girl is with me I'm returning to her parents or whatever and, and they run away and obviously this is where the leader like, is yelling we're going to come after you um, cut to the next scene and they come after them <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's Paul Greengrass no no effective no wasted energy here it's like <laughs> no. we're coming after you right straight on to them coming after me you think about yeah. it still, be like, oh there'll be a couple of scenes and then you'd have that vague threat of like oh it's those people they're back but it's literally just like no we said we're going to do a thing and then yeah. now it's it's literally occurring <laughs> right and, you know the, yeah. we might as well have just had in the same scene like well you know we didn't need the transition <laughs> but they do. I mean, they do. You do see them kind of like talking to the Union soldiers and being set free and stuff. And uh, but that takes literally thirty seconds. Like you're thinking, oh, they're going to be stuck there for days. No, 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 no. They're, they're literally <laughs> like half an hour later. They're out and they're on the road, uh, which I think is obviously a sad indictment of the way that the Union just wasn't. I mean, law and order just wasn't a thing for them. And uh, you know, it's really sad how many Confederates they just let go because they couldn't be bothered. Um, and yeah, so we get ourselves uh, an exciting horse chase. I don't think Paul Greygrass has done a horse chase before now. Um, I don't remember there being horses in U1993. 
you know, uh, yeah. reminds me of a, a Jerry Seinfeld joke where he's like, why are we still measuring things in horsepower? Oh, it like, you know, the it's like the space shuttle has got like 263,000 horsepower. Like, what are we expecting? If it stops working, the horse is going to have to step in. Um, and so, yes, we've got ourselves a horse chase as, um, you know, the, the two horses in the cart uh, that um, Captain Kidd has are being chased down by these uh, Confederates. And they even yell out, we told you we'd come and get you. And it's like, yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, well, you know, and it's weird how this is like a little kind of like 10 minute sequence in the middle of the film. It's like a little side story. Uh, and this is how I feel about a lot of these little kind of, you know, these little things that we hit. There's like a little episode of like he reads out some newspapers to people. Something happens afterwards. He, you know, they go somewhere else. He reads out some more newspapers. Something else happens. Um, and, it's kind of, because you know, it's on Netflix, too, it's kind of like, you know, you could have just made this into a TV show and then it would just be a, bi- a bingeable thing. <laughs> so I'm just like the adventures of Tom and Kid or Kid and Kid. Kid oh, and my kid. God. Why didn't they call Kid and Kid? <laughs> Why didn't they get Kid and Play in and they called it Kid and Kid and Kid and Play? My favorite thing about Kid and Play is the reason they have the nicknames Kid and Play is because they're both called Christopher. And so to distinguish between the two of them, one of them was called Kid and one was called Play. So, um, but yeah. A wonderful set of films, House Party. If you haven't seen them, I highly recommend uh, people to watch those films. Uh, but yes, so as as the end of the horse chase happens, we have people standing behind rocks and shooting their guns at random intervals in the hopes of killing someone, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, a classic kind of like Western gunfight, but done by uh, Paul Greengrass. But I, I think it's weird, actually, because this would have been the best opportunity for Paul Greengrass's, you know, kind of shaky cam stuff. But he doesn't. He lets you... I, weirdly for a P- Paul Greengrass film he lets you know where people are located um, and he you know he is very clear about the geography of what's going on um, and obviously as as the you know the, the gunshots are rain out uh, we find out that uh, Captain Kidd is running out of ammo and all he's got left is a birdshot uh, which is shotgun shells with little tiny pellets in that really won't do any damage and Joanna uh, the killing machine that she is, because of course she is of German heritage. Uh, she decides, <laughs> I've got an idea. We've got a ton of change that is just about big enough to fit inside the shotgun shell. Uh, she runs off and gets the change and then comes back. And obviously Kid is constantly being like, go out of here, get the horses, run away. And she kind of ignores him and is like, here is a shotgun shell. Allow me to fill it with nickels and let's shoot that at them. <laughs> and obviously Tom Hanks is like, that is going to kill the crap out of people. So let's do that. Um, so I should say he kills one guy because there's three of them by just shooting him with a pistol. Uh, so, you know, he does well there. Um, and then the last two, there's kind of a standoff where they're like, we're going to give up our sidearms and then, you know, we'll, we'll negotiate as we did before. We're going to buy the kid off you and then we'll be on our way. Um, and of course, you know, this, uh, we see obviously that the kind of kid, he kind of hides down and he puts his, you know, his sidearm up and he's like, here's my sidearm. The other guy's like, here's my sidearm. He sends his pal around the corner with his shotgun to try and kill them. Um, and that is a mistake because we now have the shotgun loaded with nickels and they basically blast the hell out of the guy and they kill him. Um, <laughs> I was like, OK, that's a very effective weapon that you have invented there. Um, I'm sure, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of like, uh, you know, a, a nice kind of touch that basically he's out of ammo, but they come up with this solution. Um, 
And then they quickly go up to some rocks and they hide underneath some rocks. And then we see the guys up on the rocks. And Tom Hanks does a thing where he makes a noise and the guy looks at it and then he jumps out and he shoots the guy and he goes flying through the air. And it really made me laugh to see this guy like get blasted with a bunch of nickels and just go flying in the air. I was just like, that's a like I I know it wasn't meant to be comedic, but the the fall that the stuntman took was really effective and it was re- it, it was it tickled me. I was like, that's quite funny. Um yeah. So yeah. Uh Tom Hanks murdered three men. Um This is this is the hero of the film, a murderer, three time murderer. Um well, yeah, he's a murderer and all, but they were also trying to buy a young girl. Like, yeah. So sometimes sometimes semi justified. Yeah, I guess you're allowed to murder people who want to buy a child for reasons that are obviously not good. Yeah, um, you're not buying her to provide her with a good home. No. Um, but yeah, and uh, you know, as as they as they camp, Joanna sings to the victory, which I like the fact that she's got like a, a victory song ready to sing about Captain Kidd killing these people. And I thought that was, it's singing it in like Kiowa, and I was like, oh, that's funny that like she's celebrating by singing a song. And obviously later on, Tom Hanks will be like, can you teach me that song? And he's like, yeah. Um, I just, you know, I thought it was a nice touch. Um, of course, they go on their way. Uh, we have some wonderful shots of uh, landscapes again. They look beautiful. Everyone's doing a good job on the cinematography side of this. Looks looks wonderful. Looks to be great. But of course, they then run into some more bad guys. Erath um, uh, County is the place where they are. Uh, the local guy is called Farley, and he's not a nice guy. Uh, Benjamin Farley. Uh, it's funny because this actor is only like in his 30s but because of his like beard and the way that like made him dirty and stuff he looks like he's like in, older than Tom Hanks it's really weird I was like that I guess that is the the wild west though it's not a nice place people age terribly uh, apart from Tom Hanks who of course looks fantastic in this with his wonderful beard uh, they, they did one of those movie things again it's not a trope it's just a thing that always bothers me about movies in a way that um you know, because I'm a person who has a beard and has to maintain it quite a bit. And then you have, you know, clippers to sort of keep everything nice and even and all of this business. But presumably Tom is out there, you know, for weeks at a time, not, well, maybe not for weeks at a time, but he's not shaven. He's not got like an electric razor to maintain that length of beard. But it always looks pristine. It's always exactly perfect. It's always, you get that in a lot of films where it's supposed to be like, oh, yeah, this person's been out in the wilderness for a while and they'll grow their hair out a bit. But their beards are always immaculate. And it's always it's a little thing that I've picked up on in recent years since growing a beard myself. Where I'm like, that's uh, that's not exactly realistic. But whatever, whatever. That's my cross the bear. I mean, Niall, you did a podcast about a film where people had like rubber suits and were flying around in bat wings and stuff. So let's not criticize. Yeah, the but, of news but the <laughs> you got to admit the beards were on point. Yeah. No, this is a, this is a... I can't fault uh, Tom Hanks's beard in this. Yeah. But that's the problem. Like I should be able to be looking <laughs> at that going, oh, there's old tufts over there. That's not a good even shape. It should be growing out more, but it stays the exact same length the entire time. But he doesn't have access to an electric razor. So it doesn't make any sense, damn it. But oh, well, that come up. I... I won't let it bug me. I won't let it bug me. He could have a shaving kit in his bag. He could have a comb and a straight razor and just be, you know, trimming it up each day. You know? <laughs> That's some very precise trimming, Darren. Well, Put a straight yeah. razor to keep it on at like <laughs> six millimeters or whatever it is. Yeah, maybe he taught Joanna how to shave him and, you know, he's just, <laughs> we just don't get to see it, you know, because it's like they cut that part out. Uh, but yeah, no, it is weird that for six weeks his beard doesn't change like even a millimeter. Um, but yeah, they've run into a bad guy who's got a beard. We know he's a bad guy because he's the kind of bad guy who 
asks about this person's profession and he's like i read the news out the newspapers and he's like hey i don't see you've got any of our local newspapers uh that might be reporting on what's going on here in irath county uh, a place where we have literally just confessed to killing all the indians and all the mexicans that are here um and you're like oh so this guy's a bad guy uh yes he is um he's he's a racist cattle baron with a bunch of militia men <laughs> so you know just a just general i mean it's weird because it's like would this fly today and the answer is yeah yeah if you've probably got there's probably a cattle baron in in texas who's extremely racist and goes around killing mexicans so uh you know the more things change uh, but yeah, so we have this thing where Farley, he uh, he allows uh, Kid and Joanna to enter, but on the condition, obviously, that he reads the local news, which is basically just a bunch of propaganda the guy has written down on a few bits of paper for him to read. Um, and obviously, Kid makes a choice where he's like, I've got a gigantic rowdy crowd gathered and he has to shout to get their attention. Um, you know, this would be a good opportunity for me to rile them up so they rebel against this person. <laughs> it's a It's a bold move. And... Uh, what I like is he tells this story about like a coal mine and he's like a bunch of people were in a coal mine and, you know, they died. And obviously that's sad. But how about the, you know, the people who got out? How about the 11 people who survived and, you know, they rebelled against, you know, the coal mine and, and all this kind of stuff? And it's, it's like very transparent what he's doing. But I do love the way that Tom Hanks kind of like sells it of like, you know, like this is like here is here is a rebellion that happened against like their master what do you think about that and and what i like as well is how uh they take like a poll and they're like you know the 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 boss is like no 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 how about you read the local news and and he's like hey how about we put it to a vote does everyone want to hear the local news they're all booing and he's like or well, how about this coal mine story and everyone's like yeah and i'm like oh this is like it's 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 one of the reasons like you know tom hanks has obviously won oscars because he can give a performance and you know, the role that we've had so far of Captain Kidd just being a guy who reads newspapers by candlelight, we can see it evolving here into one where instead of, you know, just reading the news, he's deliberately telling a story that he knows is going to cause like upset and people are going to rebel against, you know, the person who is overseeing them and all the kind of, you know, ersatz police force that's enforcing stuff. And I just thought it was a, a nice little kind of shift in his character of like, you know, we yeah, he was a captain, so obviously he had to command people. So he, you know, he has to have a certain kind of, um, you know, innate ability to be able to lead. And I think it's kind of interesting that this is a scene where we're like, oh yeah, uh, you know, he might not be able to shoot the bad guy, but at the very least, he can rile up a crowd <laughs> that can that, that can give him the cover so he can escape with Joanna. Yeah, I think uh, I think Tom Hanks is really. I think this is the best scene in the movie. Um, that's not just. Uh, pictures of scenery because the scenery is spectacular which is the best bit of the movie but I think of all of the, as you said they're little vignettes and of all of the ones we've seen I like this one the most because even though I mean realistically about 20 seconds into reading that story and Farley recognises that it's not the story he asked him to read he's just going to shoot him Farley does, he's not the kind of guy who's like better not shoot this man he's clearly a racist <laughs> who would shoot you Um but the fact that he gets to the end and the crowd gets really hyped up and then like we haven't just quite talked about what happens when he escapes or whatever at this point, but he manages to use the confusion to his thing. As you said, he's an orator. He, he, he has this ability to command people with his presence and, and get them hanging on his every word. And he does a great job of demonstrating this here. Like he, Tom Hanks, who'd have known it? Good actor. <laughs> the, the two stories he tells... Um... This this one's the most compelling of the time. This and 
spoilers, but the one at the end as well was kind of like, you know what? I think I would just watch Tom Hanks read the news. <laughs> just like, not just anybody, but particularly if Tom Hanks had a YouTube channel where it was just him with a monocle needing that to read things to you, it's like, I think like I could add this to the you know the David Lynch weather report as a thing I'd like to watch every day. Niall, you you got to stop hammering this YouTube point. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it was literally the YouTube of its day, Ollie. We all we all we all understand <laughs> this. Um, but yeah, no, it's like like obviously the the point is you know uh, as viewers we're we're wondering well how does this guy make a living? You know, reading the newspaper can't be that much of. Like he literally can barely make a living off it. But then we see that obviously, you know, maybe in some towns he does get a bit more into it and he does kind of embellish it a bit and kind of get into a story. And that's maybe how he's making his money. And I think this is a really good example of that. It also provides for him to escape with Joanna. Of course, as they're escaping, they're instantly caught by Farley and um, he's about to shoot them. But he, you know, as with all villains, he likes to monologue a little bit. Uh, which gives Joanna enough time to get the shotgun filled with nickels, and she basically kills him. Hooray! The German is a murderer. That's not going to bode well for the future. Um, and so <laughs> we also get some help here from John Kelly, played by Fred Heidenringer, I think is the name of the actor. And basically he was the guy who spoke earlier with um, uh, with Kid when he arrived in the camp, and he was kind of telling him what he did and you know he he basically he kind of got him on side and he was you know interested in in kid as you know like yeah. how, like what the news is and hearing about stuff from other places you know he's been trapped effectively in this like racist fiefdom for for a period of time and hearing about the outside world kind of uh, you know excited him and so he jumps in and he shoots the other guards who are holding um uh, kid hostage and then all three of them escape um, and this is where we get another little tiny vignette as we're on uh, on the wagon out in the the wild west, and uh, he you know he t- he tells Callie his backstory. Basically, he started as a preacher, and then he went into the print business, um, and then he left his wife in San Antonio to go to war. And when he returned, you know, basically everything had been ransacked, and he'd lost everything apart from his house. He still got his house, but everything else. Uh, pretty much is gone and that's when he realized he could go town to town uh, making use of both his preaching ability and his understanding of words on a page uh, which obviously was an elite thing back then um, and I'm, I'm guessing that's also probably one of the reasons why he was a captain in the army as well because he could read and that's <laughs> fairly important for getting you know uh, orders, orders across, from places yeah so uh, but yeah so you know that was his that's his backstory uh they reach a point where they see a wagon train which is heading towards the railroad and he drops off Callie and he says you know go and you know make something with your life basically uh and he's like hey have my gun because it's very dangerous out there. <laughs> so you know you've already already three times in this film we've had like people basically threatening kid so you know this is a good time for him to get a gun and him and joanna proceed as they get further down the trail uh, they run into this house where they they find a you know a little hay doll. Um, uh, I, is this? I think this is is this meant to be her home where she grew up before she was um, taken by the the Kiowa. Um, uh, I don't think it was completely clear, but that seemed to be what it was. Um, and we get a little obviously you know things being subtle. We get the setup of Chekhov's wheel as a kid repairs a wheel that looks like it's about to fall off but then he fixes it and you're like oh that wheel's not going to come back at any point uh, but 
as we say, Paul Greengrass isn't one to set something up in the first act and pay it off in the third. Nope, he sets it up and then he pays it off five minutes later as they lose control of the wagon as the wheel comes off and the entire thing crashes and they lose their remaining horse. Um, and because obviously I think uh, at Irith County they took the other horse, didn't they? Um, so, you know, they're just down to one horse. Um, and uh, yeah, the horse is not in a good condition. And obviously they take him to the horse hospital so he can be fixed. Nope. They do what you do to any horse that's even slightly broke a leg. You shoot it. And so he shoots the horse. Um, and which recalls a joke from Farside where you literally had like the ward of a horse hospital. And it's a bunch of guys dressed in doctors walking around with shotguns. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so they now have to proceed on foot. They are still near uh, Kiowa territory from what, from what I understand. The Kiowa at the time being you know, a fairly large tribe and having quite a lot of territory. Uh, obviously, I don't think that's going to go, that's going to go great, isn't it? Nothing's going to happen to that. Um, it's not like people are going to steal all their land and take it all off them and force them onto reservations. Um, but uh, then a sandstorm out of nowhere approaches. Um, Tom thinks it's horses. He goes, oh, horses. And then we see that it's a gigantic CGI sandstorm um, that envelops him. Um, and in the middle of this sandstorm, uh, Joanna uh, meets up with a Kiowa tribe <laughs> and they give her a horse, uh, which is handy because, you know, they were horseless at this point. Um, and I think in this moment, very, I was a bit confused by the scene as I was watching it, because my initial interpretation was that they were like ghosts or something. And that I was okay. just like, is it is it that? Joanna died in the the crash of the wagon, and this is like the ghosts, like the the spirits of her adopted people coming to collect her. So I was sitting like, oh, that's really like, it's a very odd way to. Because I was like, it kind of felt through like, oh, maybe this is like the end of the film, and it's just going to be like, yeah, she died, and then Tom Hanks, you know, kid sees this, and then he has to go from place to place delivering the news, but he's also like. And I saw I saw some stuff as well. Like I saw the the ghosts of the of the native people coming and collecting a soul. And then when it cuts to the next scene, I was like, oh no, that was I completely misconstrued what was going on there. <laughs> I I thought I I didn't think it was ghosts, but I thought it was strange. I don't understand where she has changed her mind about not wanting to be with the Kiowa. Like. I get it, Tom Cruise is nice, but or Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise is nice, but Tom Hanks is, yeah. is being nice to her, but he's still going to drop her off with people she doesn't know, and at the beginning of the movie, she couldn't wait to get back to the Kiowa, but now she gets a chance to meet them, and rather than just being like, hello, how are you, my name's Cicada, I would like to live with you guys, it's like, let's save this old white man who's with me, and we're going to go drop me off at complete stranger somewhere, like, realistically, they should have had their conversation in Kiowa, and just gone, yeah, just leave him to die. That's fine. Like, <laughs> we lose nothing. Tom hacks a gun, and she's like, "Well, that is a Chekhov's gun moment. I want to see where that gun's gonna pay off." <laughs> That's what she's like. He's got that gun. He must be gonna do something with it. Yeah, I don't know. Does count the shooting the horse? Does that count? No, it must be bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I th I think the thing is that like that particular tribe of Kiowa on they're not like they're just gonna be moving on and. I don't. I think the choice is more that they, even though that obviously they, they understand she is, you know, part. You know, she understands what they're saying. I don't think that particular tribe think of her like the family that took her in. Obviously, were part of a tribe, and maybe they would take her back in. But this particular group is not the same. 
they're just like yeah. we're, go- we're we're on we're on you know we're on the move we're going somewhere else when we don't really particularly want to take an extra mouth but yeah. you can have this horse because you understood yeah. what we said or whatever they're like no tea hanks to the responsibility but you can have uh, this own nag <laughs> they are yeah um but i th- i think also it's important to note that she's like wrapped in this like native blanket so it's kind of acts like a uh a, you know an easy like an icebreaker basically where she's like look look at the blanket i got i'm you know uh, so but yeah I, I don't know what the conversation was like but it happened in the middle of a sandstorm and Tom Hanks I think at this moment he kind of realizes that how connected she is to that heritage um, seeing her with that tribe and you know so it's it's you know it's also a little bit of that but I think at this point you know he has done so much to try and help her that I don't think she would just easily abandon him at this very moment and be like oh I've had enough I'm so you know I think they're forming a little bit of a bond and I think her not going with the Kyra is meant to show that yeah, um, and he recognizes how much she is in the culture, and he demonstrates this by calling her Joanna four times at the end of the scene. Yeah, he does say Joanna a lot during the sandstorm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, hello everyone, welcome to the third act, and we have arrived <laughs> in Castroville, uh, where two extremely like hostile and cold people are there to greet us as the aunt and uncle played by uh neil sandilands and winsome brown which is a great name winsome brown come on that's a wonderful name for an actress that is a good name yeah and the pair of them are like hey it's a person who we can have do some farming for us <laughs> like on the land we need people to work and when uh, what i liked here is kind of like uh you know uh first of all kid like he refuses any payment he's like no 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 don't worry about it and they're like do you want some food and he's like nah don't worry about it like i'm i'm okay i'm you know i'm i'm on my way i'm you know i'm, I'm gonna be out of here soon don't worry about me um but he's like yeah you know she, buy us a book she loves stories and literally the uh, the uncle is like there are no time for stories <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> okay enjoy your life kid i'm off <laughs> uh enjoy the aunt and uncle um you know i have some backstory i need to reveal to the audience um and i'm going to do it via bill camp uh welcome to the film bill camp a wonderful actor uh always a always a delight in everything you see him in um you know just uh you know um you know also in lincoln so he's also got obviously because his wife was in lincoln so um wonderful in the queen's gambit if anyone's watched the queen's gambit you know he's, he is he is the guy who teaches anya taylor joy to play chess that's it's, it's, yeah. it's his contribution to the well the biggest contribution to the show beyond herself probably yeah um just a wonderful like literally everything he's in uh just great uh he was also in uh lawless which was like another kind of uh, western thing uh with, which i remember with tom hardy enjoying. yeah uh yeah yeah you'd appreciate uh, the thanks i know you like keeping track of your um of your cinema trips and uh, i recall i went to see lawless and dread back to back and it was a great day <laughs> and a wonderful time seeing both of those films like a I, have, in between. I have a feeling i saw them within the same week um because i do remember obviously waiting for both of them to come out oh it uh, was uh, it was back when orange wednesday was a thing so me and my friends oh, yeah, yeah. were just like oh we're taking advantage of this <laughs> so we went to go see both of them on the same damn day yeah um he was also of course most recently people would remember him from joker as well uh and uh he's also in uh molly's game which is a film that i really enjoy yeah uh, molly's game's a great movie yeah i mean i in particular i love the um the whole thing where she explains skiing um 
which is like literally the most like Aaron Sorkin opening to a film ever where she literally spends like 11 minutes telling you about how moguls work and how they ski and how tight the things are and all this kind of stuff and then she's like oh yeah and then I broke my leg and then you know I started started doing bottle service and then became a poker person and you know there's a, a, a weird crux as well this might be a little make the the episode a bit of a time capsule too but one of Bill Cap's upcoming things is something and you know Dan because one of the previous episodes I was on was The Green Mile Called Stephen yes. King adaptations, and he's in the remake of Salem's Lot, which was due to come out very soon. Now has yeah. been pushed by Warner's. Oh, okay, that explains it. And the rumor is that you know we're in the midst of like the aftermath of you know the dropping a ninety million dollar Batgirl movie and just going we're just writing that off. Apparently, the test screenings of Salem's Lot did not go well. And there's a rumor that the reason that thing's been bumped back so far is because it's just not going to get released. So they're, they're going to drop it as the tax write-off next year? Potentially. Potentially. Ooh. So there may, there may be a Bill Camp uh, featuring Salem's Lot feature in our future, or there may not. It has been made, whether we'll get to see it. I was just saying, I was looking up about that Batgirl, and uh, it's gone. Like, it's it, due to the fact that it's been made a tax write-off. That will never come out in any form, or else Warner Brothers have to pay back the tax. Yeah, unless it's like an illegal leak way after the books are closed or whatever on it. But yeah, it can never be released in any that, official capacity, it seems. That's like, insane. Yeah. It's mad to think we're still in like lost media territory in, to, in the 2020s. That's weird to think it's a friggin' Michael Keaton Batman movie that's getting <laughs> What the hell's going on? Uh, yeah, Salem's Lot was meant to come out tomorrow. As we oh, it's tomorrow. oh, well, there you go. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. And now it's it's been announced as April 21st, 2013. Uh, t- sorry, uh, 2023. So that will be, yeah. Uh, they, yeah, that's just insane. Um, we'll see. Right. We'll see if it comes. But uh, I mean, might just come out. It might just other be another very mediocre Stephen King adaptation because the world is riddled with those. <laughs> but Maybe. I don't, I, mean, know. Got, I don't know, man. It's got Alfred Woodard and uh, William Sadler, and so I think that was the exciting part. I think William Sadler is playing Barlow, and it's uh, okay. you know, the, the big vampire, and it's like William Sadler getting that bigger role. Spoiler alert for Salem's Lot! Come on, some of us haven't seen it. Don't spoil it. It's about vampires. <laughs> God, but like, yeah, I because I'm know. such a big fan of William Sadler, and like, I would, I love seeing that guy doing well. And then now to hear like this, the, the, a movie where he's getting a major featured part might be uh, in jeopardy. He's like, no, don't take that away from us. But. Oh, we'll always have uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, I guess. Uh, and we'll always have him doing naked Tai Chi at the start of Die Hard 2. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Die Harder indeed. <laughs> His penis. And I did. Because <laughs> it's, it's, only, it's and, always better when you explain that you mean his yeah, penis, darn. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's harder. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we finally reached San Antonio or as some Americans call it, San Antone. Um, uh, and we find out uh, through uh, Mr. Branham, as played by Bill Camp, um, that, yeah, uh, his wife died of cholera while he was at war. And he feels that, obviously, this is a curse that has been put upon him. In, and, you know, he goes to visit the grave, uh, takes off his uh, wedding ring. It's very emotional. Um and we're like, oh, his wife was dead the whole time. And he kept talking about his wife that he'd left. But 
okay, I mean, it's not much of a twist, but like you say, been done in other films, so we're like, oh, right, okay, yeah. John Candy's wife was dead the whole time. This makes sense. Uh, it's, it's, it's what we like to call a reverse sixth sense, where you're like, oh, the husband was dead the whole time. Uh, spoiler alert for the sixth sense uh, 23 years ago. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I like this because this is, you know, it's kind of understated. Like, as I said, like, like, if you showed this film to someone who'd only ever seen other Paul Greengrass films and you're like, do you think Paul Greengrass directed this? Aside from the point where it says directed by Paul Greengrass, <laughs> scenes like this, you would have no clue who was directing it because it's so kind of sedate and like there's there's no there's no. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of it in the, the Jason Bourne stuff where he's constantly pining over Marie. Um, but you're like. It's not. It's not quite the same, is it? Of like a, a super trained killer who's who's like, um, you know, mourning his German girlfriend and you know a, a husband who's you know mourning his uh, his wife. Uh, although this is interesting because this does kind of bring things full circle back to the start of Tom Hanks' career when he reluctantly did not want to ever be a father in any films to the point where in The Burbs, the role of the kid is basically pared down to about three minutes in the entire film. Is that an actual thing? Did I not know that about Tom Hanks? What, what, what was his... Yeah. Did he have a vision of chess he, in the future? And he's just like, never, never me. No, no, no. He just did not want to play the role of a father. Like he was getting a lot of scripts to start off with which were like, hey, you're a father, you're a father. And he's like no 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 i am a handsome playboy who can get it on with a mermaid or get it on with an israeli girl during the wartime or get it like he lit like every if you look at his early films or you know get it on with shelly long and build a house or whatever like all of his early roles or he could be the sex symbol in dragnet uh where his character pep strebeck is constantly you know got a, a buxom blonde on his uh, on his bicycle and that was that was like the role he was happy playing and then someone was like how about you play some roles where you play a father and he was like nope he nope nope i do not want to do that you've got um, two choices here tom you can play a father or you can get it on with the hiv virus and waste away on screen in a yeah. really harrowing and painful thing <laughs> so he, he legitimately died of aids before playing a dad he looked at that age script and he said t hanks t hanks for all of this jonathan dem or well, jonathan demi it's funny because like i think he's like he's a father in the burbs that's the first time and then he's a father in Bonfire of the Vanities, but the kid is barely on screen. And then, like, Sleepless in Seattle, obviously the crux of it is he's he's got a kid. And, like, that's that's the main kind of, like, plot line. Um, but, yeah, even after that, like, Forrest Gump has a kid at the end, obviously. Spoiler alert for Forrest Gump. Uh, Spoiler and, alert. You know, the kid sees dead people. Yeah, uh, eventually. And but like you know Apollo thirteen he's like he's like you know playing a real person so obviously he has to be a dad in that but like you know that thing you do he's not a dad saving Private Ryan he doesn't tell you about being a dad in you fairness know. darn he's he might not be a dad in that thing you do but he's a daddy yeah <laughs> yes um, and even in you've got mail like he has like a, a like a nephew and like a brother who's like younger than him but is because of a marriage is like his older brother or like, there's a whole like. You know, there's, there's like it takes, you know, even in Green Mile, he's married, but he's got no kids because they're grown up and they've moved away. Like, you know, Castaway, he hasn't got any kids. Road to Perdition is like the first time where he's like playing the role of a father on screen for like the whole thing. Like even Sleepers in Seattle, it's mostly about him getting together with Meg Ryan. Like, so it's really weird when you look at his career, like he's so reluctant to play fathers. And then, you know, the last few films he's in, he's, you know, he's playing a dad. And that's kind of, it's funny that this film is about that. It's about like a widower, a widower. Yes, a widower. Widower, Why yes. Does, 
that, that word suddenly sounded weird to me. A widower basically kind of like eventually figuring out that actually he likes this kid and he will, you know, play the father role to her. Um, which is where we're at in the film. He runs back. He he runs to his horse and then he, he rides back to uh, rescue Joanna from these two obviously terrible people who are, okay, related to her, but really don't care about her. And when he arrives, he finds her, like, tied to a post because she keeps trying to escape and she won't do any work in the fields. Um, I have to say, I almost admired their sheer, like, inability to comprehend how to look after a kid. In terms of like, right, there's a little, he's delivered us some little girl, okay? What are we going to put her to work in the field? She's not doing that, just tired of the post over there. <laughs> and they're just like, this works, right? This is, yeah, this is what you do with people. This is, this is a perfectly <laughs> normal reaction to this scenario. Yeah, this can't have bad consequences for anyone. Do you know what? I tell you, though, I did get the vibe of like Pennsylvania Dutch off this like aunt and uncle. They seem like the maybe Amish it's just... style, yeah. Yeah, I was I was like, you know, they seem very committed to just like working the fields and doing literally nothing else. Um, but I think the Pennsylvania Dutch like to have a few kids at least. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, you know, they're bad parents. They're deliberately portrayed as bad parents because we all love Tom Hanks. And so obviously he's got to be the hero. Uh, reminder, he killed three people. Of course, they weren't nice people. Um, and then um, Joanna killed another person. <laughs> so two murderers right here and they are the heroes of the story they don't yeah i mean she could have loaded up a shotgun with a bunch of pennies and shot them by now but you know unfortunately that didn't happen and you know they hug and basically they're like let's go and tell people about the news um and so we see the final scene where they are in front of an enthusiastic crowd and they're telling them about the news but they're also telling them a story about a man who went into a coma and then woke up a few days later um and the punchline is when she says till you know death do us part make sure she holds it to that and everyone laughs um and it's hilarious you know the crowd are really into it uh again like this is the kind of i i think at this point he's less telling the news and more just telling stories basically um and so that is you know that's his that's the role he's playing it was, it was more like i was like i was gonna like is that an actual news story did, did they actually go and investigate like old Store, like you know periodicals from the time to dig up stories like this or this more because this one could be interpreted as it's well it's a symbolic story because it's like you know he is he, he has been revived from his state of you know uh bereaved grieving and you know half death by the you know this child and stuff and you could be meant to read that story in a multiple because obviously tom hanks has lost his wife as well and there's a story about um you know, someone you know, someone losing their husband, but it turns out no, they're still going and then things like that. Uh, but I was curious as they, I don't know if either of you looked in to see if like is that a real story that happened or or what, what's yes. the deal? Yeah, well, I didn't still... look it up, but I assume it's not. But I assume maybe it's just um, the early YouTube algorithms had changed, so like <laughs> no longer were people getting interested by the news because like you know civil wars over we want to hear other stuff and he's like well that's time to go into some stand-up comedy and he was just doing a tight five he's like building up what's the deal with going into a coma <laughs> yeah was, joanna's gonna do uh the tide pod challenge there <laughs> <laughs> no this... tiktok get it done the story of the story of alpha braxton is true uh um, oh, no way. yeah he had he had gout and he, you know, which caused high blood pressure, dizziness, 
Um, it's something that he probably had diabetes. Um, and obviously he would, uh, you know, uh, go into like a diabetic coma um, and then woke a few days later um, after effectively being buried alive. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's a true story. Uh, maybe they're exaggerating some of the details. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he, he I think I think, again, obviously, it, you know, we're uh, we're also led to believe kind of like um he's he, like he's using his his kind of preacher thing when he's like you know a man who was like resurrected three days later obviously you know people are kind of it's kind of leaning into the whole jesus thing um which unlike the story of alfred braxtone was not true um so uh but yeah I, I i think i think it's funny because like by the end he is literally just like he's not it doesn't seem like he's really reading the news he's just telling stories that people find interesting um and it looks like with that's the he's got a great way about it though it's just like yeah yeah he's a very entertaining orator like everything about it's like i get this one like he should have the money rolling in at this point because he's so goddamn good at it yeah and also you know assisting him is his daughter joanna kid it... it's kid and I, kid I, I i was genuinely uh struggling with this like um not we're well, not struggling like what's her life now just wandering around with her dad telling stories like he's gonna die say 15 years from now like what what is 25 year old joanna kid doing she uh, starts break. a newspaper in england called the news of the world <laughs> the news of the world <laughs> read all about it <laughs> and then yeah. it ends in a shame in then 20 years later uh yeah i well i mean I, I, th- I think the, the implication is meant to be that obviously she is learning from him and that, you know, uh, like eventually uh, she will kind of take over as somebody, you know, she'll be taught how to read, she'll take over and she'll also be able to, uh, you know, read other stories in German and, you know, maybe she learns some of the languages. Um, I should say this as is- well, the News of the World, the newspaper was founded in 1843. 30 something years before this story takes place so we wow um i'm just i said like if she's going to be on her own after this like i said he he will like die at 55 or whatever 65 she can't go village to village like he does like it's a different situation if you get like we've already seen her as a 10 year old with people trying to buy her like 25 year old her can't just ramp into town and be like, all right, I'm going to read the news and then walk on out of here. Like, it's, it just seems like... I assume she will meet a young gentleman and they will court and then eventually, you know, they will marry and that will be their trade, will be going town to town and that, you know, he will have to inherit that and, you know, that will be... But, you know, um, I, I mean, I guess maybe she just dies of dysentery. I don't know. That was a thing that happened a lot to people at the time. So there's no there's no guarantee. Uh, epilogue, the little things that came up would be like, you know, Captain Kidd died. And <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years later of, I don't know, dysentery or something. She died of starvation. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't know what the future is, but yeah, you know, she's fully accepted that she is now his daughter, uh, should anybody ask. Um, and the film ends. Um, I should say as well, much like uh, I think Greyhound and Finch, uh, there's no opening titles on this film. Like it's literally just here is here is Tom Hanks. <laughs> like the film, <laughs> the film is just like, hey, we got a he's right here. Yeah, and I, I get. I mean, I you know I like sometimes where films do that, but also at the same time, I think 
you know, if you're making a film, throw in a title, you know, throw a title sequence in there so we know we're in the film. Um, on the commentary for Existence, uh, David Cronenberg's, you know, he he's a big fan of having opening credits to films and he says it's to get the audience acclimatized to the fact that they're sitting in the cinema watching a film and so you know it, that's that's what it's helpful to do um but also i think we could have had like a whole kind of like bond style opening to this where you know we find out about <laughs> his past as a you know in the army and you know it would have been nice to have like a bit of backstory thrown in there um there's a bunch of newspapers with wagon wheels coming past and yeah that's like it that. yeah <laughs> you've got a bunch of newspapers they turn into a wagon wheel on a on a on a on a trail you know like it, you know but uh yeah so that's the end of the film um congratulations you have got to the end of the news of the world um, yeah. <laughs> we're in the sports pages now yeah <laughs> yeah the ones that a lot of people just turn straight to. So they would, have, would they have had uh, cartoons in the newspapers back then? You think Tom's reading out those as well? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This week's Doonesbury. <laughs> that thing has been... This uh, this week's The Far Side. I gotta tell you, I don't get this one myself, okay? <laughs> but I'll do my best to work some it. I, I think actually he'd be like, um, and here is the news about Garfield. Uh, the president does not like lasagna. Um, <laughs> so yeah I should say as well when Tom Hanks was shooting this he was like 64 so mm. you know it's very, sometimes it's very hard to tell his age because he is you know but at the same time he's been around for so long you're like this guy's got to be old by now the fact, like, it looks better than that Farley guy but uh, you know <laughs> yeah um, so you know obviously um, on this uh, podcast we have two rankings they are T Hanks or no T Hanks uh, and I'm going to go to Niall first. Uh, how are you feeling about the news of the world, the film, not the newspaper that was shut down after they did something to do with someone? I can't remember the ins and outs of it. Uh, so. <laughs> if only Tom Hanks himself was here to tell us exactly what yeah. happened in the news of the world. If he could let me know what happened to them, then obviously we could we could drill into that. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the film? Uh, well, I, I have to say it's um, it's it's okay. Like it's. Uh, it's not by no means is it bad it's just very as what i believe the kids are saying nowadays it's very mid it's sort of like it's good well performed by hanks and uh, and the little girl is great as well it looks fantastic but i think it's because you know it's, it's very tropey and it's you know it's predictable as all hell really and it's just sort of like a yeah this was this was fine this was you know and particularly too maybe it's because it's calling coming from paul greengrass who has you know made some stellar work in the past made stellar work with tom hanks like you know like imagine you know, remember how incredibly tense the final scenes of captain phillips are and incredibly you know cinematically you know gripping the Bourne films are or united 93 like he's a guy who really he usually gets you and has you right in the palm of his hand the whole time and this is paul greengrass trying a different tact doing something very very mild and something very sort of calm and enjoyable and whatnot because of that, of that, it is just very mild and enjoyable, and it's sort of like it's like I would give it a T Hanks, but it's sort of like a uh, okay T Hanks, like, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Um, but I wouldn't put it up there with any other uh, anyone involved with their best work. But uh, you know, it's also it, it, it's you know, it's not bad either. I can't I can't fault it. I just can't say that it's stratospherically brilliant or anything either. I don't know about that thing. I thought, I thought I did, but I was say, yeah, I'll say I'll say T Hanks, but like okay, just T Hanks. Yeah, I I think I'm in a very similar position to um to Niall. I 
I'm not sure if you guys have read any modern Western novels um, or novels that have been written in the last 20 years that are meant to be Westerns, like your, your Cormac McCarthy style stuff. It, it has this tendency towards minimalism that I just don't particularly like. And this film has the feeling of somebody who has read the book. Now, I haven't read this book, but I can tell you if it's a Western from the last 10 to 15 years, it's written in that minimalist style where... As you described at the beginning, Darren, it's like a series of vignettes of stuff that happens on the road. And then the interstitial bits are, then they travelled. And then you get to cut to the next scene in the next town, right? And, like, I understand why people enjoy that. I've never quite enjoyed it. And this movie, even though, as Niall just said, great director, some great performances... Some great cinematography. I know Darren threw it under the bus is not an important thing. It's like, oh, some of those lesser Oscar nominations. But cinematography is very important. And it looks beautiful. And it's well acted and directed. But there's something missing from it. Just, just, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I like a lot of what I'm seeing on screen. But if you were to say to me, Ollie, are you going to ever watch that movie again? The answer is no. I, I will never put that up. There'll be no point where I can ever see myself sitting around and saying... I should watch this a second time. However, as a one-time viewing experience to anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it, yeah, I'd recommend giving watch this. So I would, I'd say it like a in a thanks, like so it's a T Hanks for the movie, but like a T Hanks, you know. Um, so you you're gonna have a good time. It's not a particularly long movie. It's not like you're giving away two and a half hours of your lifetime, and it does what it needs to do. It's just I genuinely wish. It had a bit more love put into it by by some of the people on it. Um, and I'll compare it to another movie very, very quickly. If you've ever seen the movie Open Range, it's a much better movie in a lot of ways. But it's also from a relatively short book in, written in that minimal style. But you can see that the director and the actors, in this case the director-actor, really wanted to put that extra effort into it. And it feels like in News of the World it didn't. So, yes, it's a T. Hanks, but one of those qualified T. Hankses. Yeah, it might actually have been that Netflix knew exactly what they were doing by putting it out on Christmas Day. Because it is a type of thing. You'd stick it on with your family around and people can sit and natter over it. And you can kind of half watch it and still get it and be like, yeah, that's fine. It's good. It's a good background film because it's pretty to look at. But you don't have to be like rigidly following what's going on and actually in order to actually get the plot because it's so sparse that it's like no I, I get it like you know it's uh, yeah, I, I think I get the gist of it uh, you know as as it's going. I should say it wasn't made for Netflix. They bought the rights to it in some countries, but it was originally at Fox two thousand and then it moved to Universal. Um, unlike the film before and after this, which were made for streaming, this was made for the cinema, and then because of things, it was ended up went yeah. into you know onto streaming. Um, yeah, I mean they're not okay, the, the back on your Christmas Day viewing. Like I, I said, it could be good post yeah. you know Christmas family time viewing, but like for Netflix yeah. to be like distributing this, should we put it out? That this, you know, it's this or it's Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. What do you think people are going to want to watch <laughs> on Christmas Day? It's like. I'm pretty sure you should be able to piece this together yourself, Netflix. But uh, you go ahead yeah. and release the uh, news of the world and just just see what happens. Yeah, I, the novel was written in 2016, so this is this is a relatively quick turnaround. Like there was a bidding war for the rights, and um, you know they obviously they got started in two, in 2017, and then you know they got Tom on board, and then Paul Greengrass came on board, and you know gave the script a rewrite and stuff. 
uh, there is stuff that is missing from the novel, which is about the kind of um, the the kind of the local political stuff, like in Texas between you know the remaining kind of political factions who were who supported the different sides of the war. Um, and the character in the novel is a lot older; it's like seventy-one, whereas obviously Tom at this point is kind of early sixties. So, you know, there's a, a bit of a difference there. Um, that, that really does make it seem like, oh yeah, so Joanna's going to be on her own again very soon. Very soon, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the in the novel, certainly, yeah. And and you know, it it's not like in the in the novel, it's less about him. You know, he's a captain, but because of the War of eighteen twelve and the Mexican American War, like it's not really because of the the confederacy so they've obviously simplified things a little bit there so yeah there is something missing in, from from the film which i think are the finer details that were in the novel and it is a lot of vignettes and uh, you know it does look beautiful and it is extremely sedate considering that paul greengrass is the one shooting it um and again like it is kind of an exploration of like what if this person who was kind of lost everything ends up gaining a child um and you're like uh, okay i mean it's kind of like it's pleasant to watch, but like I say, at the end of it, you're like, I, I guess he's gonna die soon, and she's gonna be alone, and like, he, like it's just one of the, it's just a very like I can I I can kind of understand why like Tom Hanks would be drawn to it, because you know the next film that that I'm gonna cover is a similar thing where he is like a person who is alone, and in that his companionship comes from a robot. Um, so, so it's slightly different but it is just basically Tom Hanks and somebody else um, and you know that's also true of like the circle and uh, the post to a little bit of extent as well it's like Tom Hanks yeah. versus somebody like with, who's spending the majority of his time with somebody else in the film you know which in the, in the case of those is Emma Watson and Meryl Streep but it's like about the interplay between his character and another you know prominent character it's a little bit you know in this there's more i mean certainly these streaming films there's been a lot more of tom hanks on screen than in the films you know immediately preceding that um and then even like with elvis the story is about elvis but tom hanks is the one who gets to tell it as colonel tom parker which is a weird choice but okay um you know like they you know i'll talk about that more when we get to that film but like it, it, I don't know. I think in in his later career, Tom Hanks is making some very kind of interesting choices in the films that he's picking, and I think some of that talks more about like how he's feeling as a person, rather than if you know those films are going to be successful or anything like that. You know, he's made enough money that he doesn't need to work really, but he obviously enjoys acting so much um, that you know he's going to continue to do that clearly. And you know, I think obviously the the like this what attracted him you know to this was the idea of acting against like a 10 year old for the, the entire film and you know kind of the challenge of being able to carry the film essentially um and i think he succeeds but i will say it's t hanks but as with pretty much everything since i'm gonna say uh i don't know like catch me if you can uh, apart from like the toy story films pr pretty much every film that i've t hanks is like a film i'm never gonna bother watching again <laughs> um you know, which I'm sure Ollie will be sad to hear that I'm saying that about Bridge of Spies, but like I'm never likely to well, watch Bridge of Spies. Is a great movie, though. Yeah, but I'm never ever likely to watch it again. T Hanks to Bridge of Spies for people who didn't hear that episode, but I'm never ever going to watch Bridge of Spies again. Yeah. Um, I I would watch Bridge of Spies five hundred times in a row. <laughs> uh, I just think it's a brilliant movie. Um, but 
I well, sorry, I should have finished that sentence before I watched News of the World again. Not <laughs> not just I would watch it five hundred times in a row. Um, it, I just think it's a great movie. Um, but I also I totally understand what you're saying. It's the same as if you've seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Darren. Yeah, but I saw Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy twice at the cinema because I loved it so much, and I've watched it on DVD like six right. or seven and times. And that's what I'm going to say is yeah, I saw Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in the cinema, and I have never watched it since. And yeah. it just it just didn't grab me. Whereas I saw Bridge of Spies at the cinema and I've watched it five or six times. So just just that and they're they're not overly different. Like obviously there are different things, but they're filmed similarly and the acting performances are similar in them. But it's just sometimes movies grab you. And yeah, I get you right. But also, you know you're lying. You you're gonna watch the terminal again. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, like I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's t- it's t- it's t- well, no, I'm I'm not. No, literally, I don't think. Like, I think I've given T. Hanks to like Terminal, Charlie Wilson's War, uh, like two thirds of Cloud Atlas, uh, Captain Phillips, <laughs> like Saving Mr. Banks, like Bridge of Spies. Uh, I think even a hologram for the king, but I just I like none of those films. I'm going to rewatch. Like I might rewatch Big. Like if I'm if I want to watch some Tom Hanks, then I'll probably go to Big, or yeah. even The Money Pit, which was the film that I watched where I was like, why don't I do a podcast about Tom Hanks? Like those are more likely. Um, and this is you know this was a fun enough film to watch and it's pleasant and everything, but I was like, I'm probably never going to bother watching this ever again. But you know, uh, you know, T Hanks doesn't mean I have to watch this film twenty more times. It just means that the film is 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 good and it's good, yeah. I only watched it the once, but I think I watch. I would watch Elvis again. I think there's enough going on in that to be like, I gotta try to take more of this thing in to try to decipher <laughs> what the hell I actually think of it because it's a typhoon of like it's, you know it's a, it's just a carnival show the whole thing. But yeah, like yeah, that that's... that would be a modern Tom Hanks film was like particularly him because because he's his his performance is just so broad that I'm like I can't help it like I want to sink my teeth into that more because. <laughs> It's just it's it's demented. I love it so much. Yeah, it's that's awesome. Lerman for you. Like it, it, it has to be a second viewing. Like it has to. Even the bad ones, you have to watch a second time. Well, uh, not Australia because that thing bored the hell out of me. But the funny thing about Australia <laughs> is Australia also features a sandstorm where a group of native people suddenly appear from within that sandstorm. But so, they are ghosts in that one. They yeah. So. And then it turns into like Pearl Harbor Two. I don't know what's going on there. It's really weird. Like the whole film, like yeah, that's a weird film. I'll talk more about that when I talk about Elvis. But uh, yeah, odd film. Or when you talk about your next podcast, um, the Hugh Jackman podcast. What's what, what are you going to call it? <laughs> oh Why would I? What, what, what Baz Luhrmann film has Hugh Jackman been in? Is he in Australia? Is he in He's Australia? Australia. He's the main yeah. in Australia. The main guy. I, I, you know, I completely forgot that entire film. It put, put me to sleep. Um. The Huge Jacked Man <laughs> podcast starring Darren as the Huge Jacked Man. Uh, so uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? I'm going to start with Niall first. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am, if people want to hear me, uh, I am one of the hosts of Bat Minute, which is a podcast where we went through, uh, well, we're still going through, but uh, we have four seasons completed of uh, coverage of Batman films from 1989 up to and including uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, we just uh, well, I say we just wrapped that season. We wrapped that season a couple of months ago now. Uh, we're gearing up to start our coverage of Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, we'll be Great airing movie. in 2023. Uh, but in the meantime, me and my co-host, John, 
uh, are also planning to do a podcast called Miami Minutes, which is on the, the verge of coming out, wherein we talk about the film Miami Connection, minute by minute, which is a much more uh, silly affair than, uh, than Batman. And considering we talked about Batman and Robin, it can't get much sillier, but uh, somehow it did. <laughs> uh, and yeah, all those shows are, uh, well, by the time this airs, will be available uh, and all your normal podcatchers, uh, you can get Bat Minutes on the Twitter and on the Facebook and the Bat Minutes Listener's Cave and in all your normal social medias. And uh, I'm terrible at doing plugs, but yes, Bat Minutes, <laughs> Miami Minutes, Sleepy Charlie Media is our uh, our, our coverall uh, production group. And uh, yeah, if you Google any of those things, we should pop up. And Ollie, do you have anything that you wish to plug? Yeah, I'm going to plug uh, Sarah's podcast first. So uh, listen to Media Evil. I, I pop up from time to time doing guest spots whenever she... Basically, um, she'll be coming up. She's like, Oliver, I need to I need to get a couple of weeks in the can. Is there any chance she could record? And then I'll do like three episodes in a week with her and then edit them together. And then she intersperses my episodes in, which is fine. But I'm there going, oh, that's too much effort. Um, you can also look up Judging Book Covers, where I'm a, a, a currently um, guest hosting because one of the main hosts has had to uh, take a step out for a moment. So myself and Megan Griffin talk about books and uh, she talks really insightful stuff. And I go, mm, sex scenes are a bit short. Um, and then uh, the last thing is I recently played a Dungeons and Dragons style uh, adventure story called Once Upon a Monster of the Week where I played a Boston cop um, at which point I tried to put on a Boston accent and the people running it asked me to stop after four sentences uh, so I just went back to he's an Irish cop who's been in Boston and um, yeah and then talked like that and it's, it's fun so it's called Once Upon a Monster of the Week and I think they're called the Reddington preservation society so there's just several different stories going on in that so look that one up it's good times and you can find us on twitter at the extremely awkward t underscore ft memory thanks to both of you for being my guests here on news of the world i absolutely loved it darren yeah t hanks for having me again darren you're literally the first guest to say that ever that's weird that like people don't say that to me all the time that should be the catchphrase that guests should be saying to me but they don't no, well, I'm going to say it's a Lee. Oh, yes, for having me, Darren. <laughs> uh, and I think we can all agree that this film definitely went to streaming, as did the next one, which is called Finch. <laughs>